Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. I bet you thought my first slide was going to be a Bible slide this morning. This scene is from the Blue Ridge Parkway. I suspect many of you, maybe all of you, I don't know, have ridden on that beautiful highway during the fall. Uh, That highway is 469 miles long. It has over 100 scenic overlooks. And the scenic overlook, if we were to go up to every one of them and take a picture and put those pictures together, I suspect we still would lack some details somewhere. There'd be a missing hill, a missing mountain somewhere. Well, uh, that's a bit what we've been doing in this study. We've been looking at the scenic overlooks of the Bible, of God's grand plan. And these are a list of some of the topics that we've covered thus far. We've moved from the creation to the cross, and we are progressing our way now uh, into the New Testament. What uh, I've tried to present along the way are things that only can be supported by what Scripture has to say. And as a vital part of this uh, view, one thing that we discussed last week is God's gift of righteousness, which I refer to as the Nugget, <clears throat> the theological nugget of the Bible, of God's plan, because I think its significance is so great. Today, in lesson number 10, we're going to be looking at the dawning of the new, and I'm going to be asking you a question as to what you think is new in just a moment, but I want to talk just a little bit br- briefly before uh, I ask that question. Thus far, We've looked at key characters uh, in God's plan in in the Bible, such as Abraham, Moses, David, and so on. We've looked at the five of the six different covenants that God uh, has given in the Bible. We've looked at kingdoms, especially the kingdoms of David uh, and of Solomon. Uh, We've looked at an evolution of the priesthood as it began with Cain and Abel and as it evolved Uh, in God's plan through the Bible. We've looked at some patterns uh, that are noticeable there, particularly the patterns of sacrifice, blood, and water that are used uh, as God's means of rescue. And uh, as we uh, go along, we're going to be looking today particularly at a number of new things that are found as a part of God's plan. Things that were only partially or maybe even revealed only with a, in a shadowy way uh, in the Old Testament. But we'll be looking at a number of scriptures today. And again, I urge you to either follow in the scripture or take notes. I know it's hard to do both, but I hope you will consider these things further. Now the question. And these are mostly one-word, maybe two-word answers. So if you think of something, please holler out. Uh, 
I'd like to take account of those. What are the new things that you think of that came about in Christianity? What new things happened when Christianity came upon the scene? Yes. One word. Two. All right. Commonality. Everyone has access to God. Very important point. Thank you. What else is new under Christianity? Pardon? The covenant. Yeah, there are new covenants. A, we have a new covenant. What else is new? Yes. Forgiveness. Total, absolute forgiveness. Yes. Other things that are new. Yeah. Uh, let me walk a little closer. Yes, yes, very good. It's all about what's in your heart, in the mind. Something else, Fred? Sin is no longer remembered. All right, very good. It was remembered annually before, wasn't it? Under Moses' law. Anything else you think of that's new? A new priesthood. Yeah, we have a new priesthood. New sacrifice, that's right. Other things that are new. The perfect example, yes, Jesus Christ. We didn't have that before. Louder, please. Worship, yes, worship is new, very different. Well, let's go ahead and look then at some new things. You've named many things that uh, I'm going to be talking about today. You may remember, I discussed previously the Davidic covenant, one of the Old Testament covenants, uh, just back a few weeks ago. This covenant was given to David even before he sinned with Bathsheba uh, and uh, the uh, lying and the murder that he committed at that time. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in the middle of verse 11, this is the covenant, the essence of it. Also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. God gave David this unconditional promise even before that son Solomon was born. Uh, And as it was also before the time that he uh, committed his sin uh, with Bathsheba. So God gave an unconditional promise that Solomon would build the temple and that uh, his kingdom, David's kingdom and Solomon's kingdom, would last forever. Now, that brings the question up, how do we know that the Davidic covenant was ever fulfilled? 
Well, the New Testament answers that for us. Uh, When Gabriel came to Mary before she was pregnant, gave her this uh, promise in Luke chapter 1 at verse 32. He, that is your son, will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So this passage validates the Davidic covenant, but it also makes reference to the Abrahamic covenant by mention of the house of Jacob. So God is uh, making, uh, giving a reminder uh, of the promise he made and now the commitment to fulfill that promise. So we know that the son of Mary was Jesus the king, our king, uh, that fulfilled and had that kingdom which lasts forever. This is Nebuchadnezzar's statue. Daniel chapter 2, we read of this, and it's probably familiar to us, quite familiar from our days, even back in early years in Sunday school. In Daniel chapter 2, I'd like to read a portion of it. Daniel says to the king, You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image, this great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. The image's head was fine gold, its chest of arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron, and partly of clay. We know from our studies that this, and as shown on the picture there, the four kingdoms were the Babylonian kingdom represented by the gold, the silver, the Medo-Persian, the bronze, the Grecian, the iron and clay, the Roman, and the fact that the iron is, or the, is mixed with the clay has is generally suggested to refer to the fact that Rome had declining years and fell apart. Further on in that same chapter 2 of Daniel, uh, at verse 44, we read this. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. We know that that great stone that's depicted there grew into a new and eternal kingdom, as is stated. And we are citizens of that kingdom. If we look at another place in the prophetic writings in Isaiah, it reads as follows. Isaiah chapter 2, beginning at verse 2. Isaiah 2, verse 2. And it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. And all nations shall flow to it. Many people could come and say, Come, 
and let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. These uh, familiar, wor- or s- familiar words uh, are echoed, at least in part, uh, in the New Testament. If we look in Luke chapter 24, some of the final words of Jesus, Luke 24 at verse 44, he had this to say to his apostles. Beginning of verse 44, Luke 24. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. The law would go forth, the word would go forth from Jerusalem, from Zion, as prophesied in Isaiah. And Jesus is saying, that's exactly what you're going to do in just a short while. It was, as we know, fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Then in Acts chapter 1, just before he was to ascend to heaven, Jesus had these final words to say. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and to the end of the earth. So we have seen the kingdom progress from prophecy in Jeremiah and Isaiah to the prediction that it would come about by Jesus himself. And now he's saying it's imminent. It's going to happen right here in Jerusalem. Now going back, uh, just <clears throat> back to Isaiah for another point. In this connection, the uh, Davidic covenant with Jesus, Isaiah 9 at verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and the peace there will be no end, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and to establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Then we have the genealogies in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3 that give us conclusive proof that Jesus was a descendant of David and Solomon. Uh, as well. So Jesus had these final words to say before he departed, or very close to his departure. And they're important to us. In Matthew 28, 18, he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So Jesus is now the king on David's throne in that everlasting kingdom. He has the authority uh, that we, that was promised 
uh, as Daniel and others had prophesied. So we see the dawning of a new kingdom when the Davidic covenant was realized when Jesus came into his kingdom. We saw that Nebuchadnezzar's dream was fulfilled. We know that because the New Testament passages make it very clear to us. And just like David's covenant was not realized over, overnight, it took a thousand years or so, uh, neither was the kingdom of Christ uh, in its uh, full glory overnight. It was a work in progress. And uh, for that matter, we might still consider it a work in progress. I'd like to uh, call your attention to some aspects of the kingdom by looking at this progress as we go through the New Testament. First of all, uh, in Matthew chapter 3, it speaks of John the Baptist. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So first, John the baptizer praises the way, or paves the way, rather. Then Jesus had this to say, or he did this uh, himself. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's telling them, the folks there, that it's at hand, it's near. But he also gave them warnings as well. And we know from that time, it was just a little over three years away. Then in Matthew chapter 16, these words to Peter and the apostles. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus is saying that his church and the kingdom are one and the same. Then, when he this is going back in time a bit, when he spoke to Nicodemus, When he first came to him, he told Nicodemus, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John chapter 3, verse 3. So Nicodemus was told that this new kingdom had a new wrinkle, something interesting and different as far as its citizens were concerned. No longer was circumcision and birthright Uh, the matter that qualified one to be in the kingdom. But it's being born again, or it's uh, in other places it's referred to as born of God. This uh, citizenship process for the kingdom is described in a lot more detail later on, and we'll look at some aspects of that as we go forward. So John chapter 3 introduces two new things. One of them is the new kingdom, but then we also see the concept of a new creation. These are the words that are used to describe those who are citizens of the new kingdom. To Nicodemus, it was being born again, and uh, here the term is new creation. Uh, And that, in my mind, at least raised another question. Wasn't God's creative work already finished? Uh, What is this thing of 
new creation. Didn't that, didn't that get finished back in Genesis? Well, yes, the physical creation did, of course. But here we are talking about a spiritual creation. A new creature, a new creation, uh, as it uh, is in some text. Others, uh, as in uh, Galatians and Romans, is referred to uh, as newness of life. Uh, and I do want to make reference to two important scriptures. They're a little bit lengthy, so I won't read them. But in Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 1 and going through verse 11, we see this process, this creative process described there, where what God does is in baptism, he replicates in us the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. So in baptism, a sinner dies, is buried, is raised up, a new creation or a newness of life. And then secondly, there's Ephesians 4, uh, beginning at verse 20. There it speaks of laying aside the old self. That's referring to the old person of sin. Uh, that occurs, as we know, in baptism. So, so God's creative work is uh, ongoing in the sense of creating new Christians on a continuing basis. And our process of growth is one where we gradually put aside that old self, that old man of sin, and we become a new person. Uh, as Ephesians 4.24 says, we put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Uh, some other things that Scripture has to say, and I want to just give you the references on these uh, about the idea of a new creature, a new creation. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. In Galatians 6, beginning at verse 14, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our dear Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, for neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, as I mentioned, uh, it is referred to as newness of life. So there is creation, all right, for sure, and it's a new life, a new spiritual life. Then in Romans chapter 2, uh, Romans chapter 12, or rather, verse 2, very familiar passage. And be, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And that's exactly the process that's shown there with the butterfly, the metamorphosis, the transformation, by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So a caterpillar becomes a cocoon, a cocoon metamorph goes through metamorphosis and is transformed into a beautiful butterfly. But there's still other things, and we've already mentioned one of those and earlier, the dawning of a new covenant. I'll remind you of uh, Jeremiah 31. Uh, which uh, we have read before, uh, 
but I want to read at least part of that. Jeremiah 31, beginning at verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Then he goes on to talk about one of the things that was also mentioned earlier about the heart. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. So there's several things that we noted before in looking at this. First of all, in verse 31, he is looking forward, he says, in the days that are coming. In verse 32, he says, it's going to be a different kind of covenant. It's not like the one that you had with your fathers. In verse 33, he says, it'll be internal. It'll be written in the mind and the hearts. And in verse 34, following that, he says, For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. So the hope of forgiveness is a part of this covenant that's prophesied. And Jeremiah, of course, uh, you may remember, was writing this in the context of offering hope to the uh, Jews in Babylonian captivity, but it has a double meaning. And that double meaning is explained for us in Hebrews chapters 8 and 9, uh, which we'll read a portion of in just a moment. Uh, this term new covenant is, uh, I've used the term covenant a lot in these lessons, but uh, just a reminder, uh, the new covenant can also be referred to as the New Testament. And we find that in some passages as well. In Hebrews chapter 8, Hebrews chapter 8, beginning at verse 7, we read this, and this is regarding Jeremiah's prophecy. For if that first covenant had been false, faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And then he goes on in subsequent verses to repeat what we've just read uh, in Jeremiah 31. And then if you skip on down to, uh, and it's uh, shown on the slide there, which is, for me, hard to read. Uh, well, it shows up much clearer there. That's good. Uh, it's kind of fuzzy in the back. Maybe that's my eyesight. Uh, <clears throat> but in, uh, in verse 13 of uh, Hebrews 8, in that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete now, what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. In other words, Moses' law has been annulled. Uh, and Hebrews chapter 9 also has a lot to say about this new covenant. Uh, there in, uh, in Hebrews 9.15, we see a new role that's described for our Savior, one that had uh, been in the hands of another person before. That's the role of a, uh, of a new mediator. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. That's referring to Jesus Christ. 
pages out of order here. By means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Uh, So Jesus is the mediator, but that's not the only role that we know. He's also Savior. He's also our Lord and Master. He's our Comforter and many other titles that are used to describe him in the New Testament. So the new covenant has dawned. Uh, when Jesus died on the cross and Colossians chapter 2 makes it absolutely clear with regard to the law of Moses when, he's, when it says there that has been nailed to the cross. So that old covenant is absolutely gone. It's annulled when Jesus died on the cross. But there's another aspect about the new covenant as well that we need to need to think about, I think. That is what happened when Jesus uh, celebrated the Passover feast with his apostles, that last one, where he announced to them uh, when he took the cup in Luke chapter 22 at verse 20. Jesus, when he said this, instituting the Lord's Supper, said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And the word that's used there is shed. A participle is used to convey the idea. It's continuing on. Not that Jesus continues to shed blood, but the effect of that shed blood continues on. It flows forward and And it also flowed backward to those righteous men who lived under the law. In the previous verse to uh, ahead of, in verse 19 of Luke 22, uh, Jesus said, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. So from forever on thereafter, the remembrance is not based on the Sabbath, but the first day of the week. Uh, And as mentioned earlier, uh, there's no longer an annual requirement of remembrance of the sins of the past. They are permanently in this new covenant taken away. Something else to note as well about the Lord's Supper. Uh, As we know, it's, uh, it's a weekly reminder to us of the power and uh, the efficacy, the effectiveness of that blood. This new kingdom, this new covenant, then we have a new mediator. But there are other new things as well. That's not the end of the new things. This is the dawning as well in the Lord's institution of the Lord's Supper a new memorial that Jesus established for us to remember him. Then there's also the dawning of a new high priest. Uh, We've looked at this earlier back in Lesson 5. We were looking at patterns and looking at the pattern of the uh, priesthood under the law of Moses and how it was very much a pattern after the priesthood of the high priesthood of Christ. And this passage in Hebrews chapter 9 uh, describes uh, in, in the words there, but Christ came as a high priest of good things to come with a greater 
and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained, obtained eternal redemption. He speaks of the good things to come, of the fact that he is now in God's presence. He's in the permanent tabernacle, that is, heaven itself. Also, as was mentioned earlier, there's the dawning of a new priesthood. Uh, this shows an analogy uh, of the old priesthood and the new priesthood. Uh, it's clear, I think, from, from our studies in the Old Testament that Jesus, or the Levitical priesthood, was a type of our priesthood as Christians today. In Hebrews uh, chapter 7, uh, beginning in verse 11, uh, speaks of the uh, perfection that was not possible under the Levitical priesthood. So a change in priesthood was necessary, and that meant there had to also be a change in the law as well. In Hebrews 7, 8, and 9, particularly 7 and 9, uh, explain the role of Jesus as our uh, new high priest, uh, as our new mediator. When he entered into heaven on, on our behalf, he went through the veil. Need to remember that the Jews paid very, very careful attention to the genealogy of their priest, the Levitical priest. Uh, they had to be born into the tribe of Levi, uh, and just like them, we as priests today have a very specific genealogy as well. We have to be born into the tribe, if you will, of Jesus Christ. Just as sons of God, as priests in Christ, we have a lineage, a very precise lineage, that traces directly to God the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. And as, as, as priest, as this new priesthood, 1 Peter chapter 2 speaks of this. 1 Peter 2 at verse 5 and at verse 9. It tells us that we're a holy priesthood, we're a royal priesthood. And again, referring back to Romans chapter 12, in verse 1 of that chapter, we are described as the sacrifice itself. We offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And that whole chapter, Romans chapter 12, is a description of what it means to be a living sacrifice. That is our priesthood description, if you will, uh, our, the description of our sacrifice, our service. And again, referring back to the old Levitical priesthood, I, may, I need to make reference again to another pattern that's found there, and that's the pattern of water. Uh, in the temp temple and in the tabernacle, there was a laver of water and that water was used by the priest uh, to first of all cleanse themselves and then it was used to uh, wash the sacrifices as well. And of course we are all familiar with our own baptism in which we are cleansed, we are made priest in Christ by the cleansing water 
of baptism. So we become new priests. We become living sacrifices because we've been cleansed in the water of baptism. Then on this slide, I'd like to just make brief mention of several other new things that came about. Some of these we've mentioned already. In John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you. So no longer do we love our neighbor as ourself, but we love just exactly as God loves. That's the new commandment. Ephesians 2, 15, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. Peace is harmonious relationships. So once again, this new man, this new law, this new commandment, uh, we are once again in a right relationship with God the Father. And in Ephesians 4 and 24, it speaks of putting on the new self, which is in the likeness of God. In Mark 1, 27, they were all amazed so that they debated among themselves, what is this, a new teaching with authority? So we have, we are, we have a new commandment, and we have one who has delivered it to us, who has absolute Authority. Just exactly as we read earlier in 2 Corinthians 5 17, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new in Jesus Christ. That concludes lesson 10. I, my observation is we have all of one minute left. Uh, I've managed to consume all the time, but I appreciate the earlier suggestions and help in listing the things that are new. I hope you'll continue to think on some of these things. Let's bow briefly in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are truly grateful for these things that you've revealed to us that we have because of Jesus, because he was willing to come and to die. We're thankful that we are part of so many things that are new before you and that are eternal as well. Father, we pray that you'd be with us as we go into our community, as we live our daily lives, that you indeed would help us to glorify you by showing to others that we are indeed a new creation, that we live a life that is different because of what Jesus has done for us. His name we do pray these things and ask. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.